and Alvarez. Mesco trying to break Jimenez one on one with Harold Cummings is on the other card. He cuts it back. Jimenez running in. Jimenez! Football! Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus, episode 265 of this fine program. We are spanning the globe from SoFi Stadium to South Beach and everywhere in between. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. Herc, I know it's been a long couple weeks for you on the road. You happy to be home? I am very, very happy to be home. It's about uh, 36 hours I've been home. I will be on my way to Miami in about four hours. So I'll see you soon. By the way, mm. you have changed Sebastian Salazar. You have changed Miami, has changed you. One Don Garber interview, mm. you're wearing a white sports coat and an inter Miami jersey. What is going on? Let's go. I have to admit, this is uh, not quite the officials. This is very much the, uh, the semi-official uh, Lionel Messi kit. I also have the black one, so I'm taking some, some gifts home for the, uh, for the good people back in D.C. we got a lot coming up in this show, Herc. Of course, we will be talking some Messi mania and everything that's transpired here in Fort Lauderdale and the greater Miami area over the last couple weeks. We will be continuing as well our build-up to the Women's World Cup. Don't look now. It starts Friday for the U.S., their opening game. Uh, we'll be talking in this show to Alyssa Thompson and Julie Ertz, as well as Alexis Nunes, who's going to join us live from New Zealand. She's been following the U.S. women's national team around as they make their final preparations for the start of the tournament. But, Herc, speaking of tournaments, let's start with the one that just wrapped up on Sunday, the Gold Cup final at SoFi Stadium between Mexico and Panama. There it is, the trophy up for grabs. Pick this one up early on because Panama, as you said they would, Herc, was causing some trouble. Ismael Diaz into a dangerous spot, just couldn't finish off the play. Yeah, it's on Alberto Carrasquilla with the ridiculous ball. Couldn't finish it off there, but look at Mexico coming through. It's Jorge Sanchez! Oh, is it a penalty kick? Penalty kick, sub? Hmm. Uh, speaking of ridiculous, I think that's what we'll call this dive, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't get booked. Bad look for Jorge Sanchez. Not his only bad look of the day, to be fair. 33rd minute, long ball from Memo Choa. And look what it leads to. Henry Martin, of course, playing the point. Ball's going to get out to Luis Romo. He serves it in. Henry Martin, the touch. Golazo. Mexico up 1-0. But wait, that's why they have VAR, Herc. Oh, man. When we saw this one, nobody knew what they were calling. We thought initially it was the finish. Henry Martin offside right there. Play resumes. Late first half. Another great chance for Mexico. Orlando Mosquera with a couple big saves for Panama. Yeah, but look at Escobar right here. Look at this stomp right there. Oh, my goodness. That could have been dangerous. Could have been a penalty kick right there. No penalty given. Henry Martin clearly in pain, but it was scoreless going to halftime. Late in the second half, Jose Fajardo to Ismael Diaz. A chance there for Panama. Yeah, just turn with it. No need to do that. And then more trouble. Look at this. Uh-oh. Edson Alvarez to play the tournament, Orbelin Pineda, and then look at this. You asked for him, Sebi, you wanted him. El Bebote! El Bebote! Takes Cummings for a ride, and that'll be game blouses. Second half sub, the Gold Cup hero, Santiago Jimenez, 
off the bench on a play started by Edson Alvarez. Gets the game-winning and tournament-clinching goal as Mexico beats Panama to clinch their first Gold Cup title since way back in 2019. Santiago Jimenez, the game-winning hero. Let's hear some more post-game reaction from SoFi Stadium as Mexico win the Gold Cup over Panama. Sí, sí, yo firmé un, eh, un contrato para, para la Copa Oro. Eh, creo que a partir de ya estoy libre. Eh, fíjate que los mexicanos no creemos a veces mucho en el proceso. Y yo aún haberlo, habiéndola perdido, si hubiera perdido esta final o si nos hubiera tocado perderla, creo que habrá que valorar otras cosas, no solamente el resultado final. Eso le valoro yo mucho a, a la selección de Panamá, que ha estado con un mismo técnico, que ha confiado en él, que es dificilísimo ganarle, que eliminó a Estados Unidos en una semifinal. Y, y creo que si confiamos un poquito más en el proceso, los resultados van a ser inmensamente mejores. Entonces, eh, esta decisión no me corresponde a mí nuevamente. Uno tiene que aprovechar las oportunidades, estar listo. Y, y bueno, no sé si en, en unas semanas o en unos meses, pero pues tendrá, se tendrá que tomar una decisión y, y de mi parte, siempre que pueda ayudar a la selección nacional, estaré dispuesto. Mexico then, Gold Cup Champions of 2023. And there you see the late impact made by none other than Santiago Jimenez, who again gets the uh, game winner in the Gold Cup final, 1-0 victory over Panama. So Mexico, Herc are Gold Cup champions. First question of the show is, are they deserving champions of the Gold Cup? Yeah, they're deserving. And I like what Jimmy said there about if they were to lose this game, analyzing different things, the process. And, and he's absolutely right, because through the process of this Gold Cup for Mexico, they weren't maybe the most well-worked team. I give Panama that one. Hmm. Panama was the most well-worked team, but they were the most convincing team they were most complete team and i think it was pretty evident even the game they lost against qatar thoroughly dominant uh, dominating in that game they just couldn't finish it was a, a game that they also used alternate players it was a mixed squad already qualified for the next round jimmy look at other players and then you go on to the other games the rest of them let's analyze those if you will uh, there was only maybe a handful of times where you thought throughout this tournament that Mexico was really ever in danger, and it was their own doing. They were the best team in this competition, the strongest team on paper in this competition, the team that went out there and always tried to win, not just grind out a result, always tried to propose good football in the final third, a team that looked convincing in their style of play, and they were very well coached this tournament. And here's, here's the thing. I think there are a few times where football is just. I think football was just here. Panama, let me really mm -hmm. briefly speak on Panama. You have to give the Panamanian team lots of credit. Jimmy Lozano recognizes what Thomas Christensen has been able to do in a process of three years with this team. But we saw it in group play. We saw it uh, throughout the tournament. It's a team that lacked punch. They lacked that killer instinct. They would get themselves in very good positions and could not finish. That was a constant. Another constant of this team Sebi, in five of the six games they played in this tournament, they mm. gave up goals minute 88 or mm -hmm. later. You're not going to be a Gold Cup champion. You're not going to be a champion or an effective team if you do that. They did that. They let it go. The most convincing team in this tournament was Mexico. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's fair, right? I mean, who else Who else could you make a case for that was more deserving than Mexico? The only blip is Qatar. You gave the reasons kind of why the excuse is there. And if you look at the knockout rounds, right, they're especially convincing, at least statistically, there. No goals conceded. Memo Choa, you know, really did not have a lot of work. Not just, you know, he had two saves in the final, but really throughout the tournament. I don't think... I think it was eight or nine saves total for the tournament. He didn't have to make 10 saves in the entire Gold Cup combined. So one of my big complaints towards the end of Tata Martino's time was no matter how much Mexico had the ball, they were vulnerable. That didn't seem to be as much the case here. The other big complaint at the end of Tata's time was that Mexico really struggled to be dangerous. And you saw it in this final. They had 23 shots in the final. And that's not some outlier for the Gold Cup. They were putting 20 shots a game up pretty much throughout this tournament. They had seven of those shots on goal. They dominate every statistical category that you could want. They are being dangerous. Could they finish more? Could they have been a little bit more clinical against Panama? Absolutely. They could have put that game away at a, in a much different place than the final minute of regulation, but they still got the win. Uh, and so I think they're absolutely clearly the, the best team in this tournament on an individual level, because you were there live and you saw it. And it's a player that we talked a lot about. I want to get your thoughts uh, on Edson Alvarez, because we saw the last play of the game, right? It is his touch. It is his defensive intervention that starts the break that leads to the Santiago Jimenez goal. But if we're honest, uh, in the games leading up to this, he was not convincing, either as a center back or as a midfielder. He is fit. He does get the start in the final. How do you think he played? You know, I struggle with Edson Alvarez because we consider him Mexico's only type A player, a player that can go to that big team, take that next step. And it's not just my opinion or your opinion. It's the opinion of a lot of teams out there who have put in actual bids, put in actual money for this player that Ajax has rejected. Chelsea, 50 million, and now Dortmund walking away because Ajax keeps asking for too much money. There are serious teams Mm -hmm. that want this player. But if you go back into his Mexican national team history, Sepp, go back into that Rolodex. Go back into your mental DVR. Mm -hmm. Find me his marquee game in a Mexican national team jersey. It's very difficult. He's not not had Mm -hmm. that. The very last play in this game might have been his marquee play in a Mexican national team jersey. Cuts Mm -hmm. off a play that could have led to a Panamanian goal and then starts a counter to what is the game-winning goal for your team in a tournament that was maybe subpar for what we expected from him. And a lot of that could have been circumstantial because he started as a center back and then he got injured and not being at 100% because I guarantee you he wasn't at 100%. He wanted to be there. Memo Cho may be the team Mm -hmm. captain, but this is the team leader right here. This is the guy that will be the reference point for Mexican national team players abroad for the better part of the next seven, eight years. Yeah. I wonder where his head's at, too. You know, not just the injuries, not just everything he's been dealing with the national team, but the club situation. Uh, Last week, he was linked to, like, everybody. So, West Ham is the latest. Let's see uh, where Edson Alvarez ends up. Let's talk about another Mexican player that's uh, making waves over in Europe. That, of course, Santiago Jimenez. He gets the game-winning goal here in a Gold Cup final. What does it prove, uh, and what does it mean for Santiago Jimenez's future with the national team? That he gets this big goal, that he gets it in a big game, and that it comes off the bench. What it means is it's proof that Santiago Jimenez can be that player that many fans and pundits believe he can be, that his teammates believe he can be. Everything in one play. It took three minutes for this man to make his mark. He showed explosiveness, 
speed, awareness, ability, finishing. I mean, he hits it so bad that it ends up being good. He did exactly what he needed to do for that ball to go in. And I say this, and I say this yes, and I say this in the best possible way. When you need a big player, when you need a big moment, there are certain players around the world that make their marks. We've seen it in the Eredivisie. We've seen it in Europe, Europa League. We've not seen it with the Mexican national team. In the biggest of moments, under a new coach, Jimmy Lozano, he makes his presence felt. Now, Henry Martin had himself a hell of a game. A hell of a game. You know what that's mm -hmm. going to mean? Nothing. Because Santiago Jimenez in three minutes scored that goal, and everybody will remember Santiago Jimenez. So now, what this means for yep. Santiago Jimenez is, as much as anybody who wants to defend Henry, and Henry played an unbelievable game, the future mm -hmm. is now. It's today. The president is staring right at us. It's Santiago Jimenez, and this is a guy that you have to not only give the opportunity to, but build around. Yeah, everybody knows how I feel about Santiago Jimenez. I didn't need to see him score that goal to know that he should be the starter for Mexico. Herc, just honest question here, because I, I don't want to come across as a guy who's bashing Henry Martin. Does Henry Martin have that in his game? Could he have made that play in that moment? Well, he didn't do it in... It's unfair, because he scored a goal that was like centimeters from being onside. Um, All right, but that's a very different goal than with the goal that Santiago Jimenez scored, which with the game on the line, he took the game on his shoulders and made a 50-yard run with the ball and finished it off. Yeah, Does Henry yes, Martin Sebi, he have did, that in he his did game that, at the international Sebi, level? He did that, but it should never came to that moment. A Panamanian player or two should have taken him down way before that, so circumstantial. He's, he not, he's not that type of player to run away from people. Right? Like, Santi is in the back-to-goal player that's going to do what Henry Martin does. I'm on your side of the camp when it comes to who I would give the opportunity mm -hmm. to, but the traits aren't similar. It's not like for like, so that's, that's, a, that's a very difficult one to judge. What I do know is yeah. you have one player who's younger, who has everything ahead mm -hmm. of him. You have one player who's on the 30, and his better years are now going to be dwindling. Everything after 30, you're, mm -hmm. it's a race against time. And in three yeah. years from now, Henry Martin physically, mentally, ability-wise, maybe less than what he is today. Whereas you have a player that you can build on today that will be in the, not even in the prime of his game mm -hmm. come 2026. I think it's an easy choice for me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this comes down to who's the manager, right? Like, we know with Jimmy Lozano, there's a comfort factor there. And, and certainly that's got to be valuable for something. But now... Lozano himself has data that says, okay, here's the reason why I should start Santiago Jimenez over Martin. And whoever comes in next is obviously going to have seen this game. It's going to so? know what, what Santiago Jimenez can do. Uh, yeah, of course, if you come in with a clean slate and you've got a guy who's scoring in Europe and just scored the game winner in the Gold Cup final, I mean, again, unless it's a manager who's going to overthink it and come up with some weird reason not to start Santiago Jimenez, which a lot of Let managers me. of the Mexican national team seem to find, Three I think them. there's no way you keep this guy off the field. I, I think there's no way you keep this guy out of the starting lineup. Herc, go on. I understand what you're saying. It's sometimes very difficult to grasp or to understand like why a manager would do what he does. There's a player scoring goals, and you don't want to start with them. Sometimes managers think they're smarter than they are. Sometimes they think, why do mm -hmm. I start this guy if off the bench he's so good? That's my worry for Santiago Jimenez. That's my worry when I listen to pundits, when I listen to mm -hmm. game announcers talk about Henry Martin. Henry Martin desgastó la defensa, like he wore the defense down. And then Santi Jimenez comes on mm -hmm. and he aprovechó. He takes advantage of that. You have to be very careful. I've been in that position. I've been labeled a superstar. Mexico's 
All-time leading goal scorer for the Mexican national team, made his living as a super sub. I don't want to see Santi Jimenez typecast as that, mm-hmm. but I think we're getting there. And Jimmy Lozano, and we're going to talk about yeah. Jimmy Lozano right now, but if there's something he did very well in this tournament was the substitutions. They almost always hit. And again, it was a Jimmy Lozano late sub, because I remind you, it was minute, what, 88 when he makes this uh, goal, where he scores this goal? He yeah. came on at 85, minute 85. So it was very late that he realized he needed to trust Santi Jimenez and bring him on. Yeah, I'm cool with the super sub role if the guy you're sitting behind is Hugo Sanchez or Prime Raul Jimenez. It's not that with Henry Martin, so I think it's just not going to last for a player as good as Santiago Jimenez. Let's go ahead, dive in on the uh, the Lamborghini. Jimmy Lozano, of course, uh, taking Mexico to the Gold Cup as the interim manager. Herc, do you think he's earned the full-time job? Yeah, I do. Now, I'm going to start here by... Um, hmm. The Mexican hmm. Federation would be shooting themselves in the foot if they decided to turn around and not give him the full-time job. They would turn the fans and the press against them even more. And they would be setting up the next coach to fail. The amount of pressure this coach Mm. would be under. With Jimmy Lozano's shadow over him, lurking down, Looking down, lurking on him would be incredible. Not Jimmy Jose Lozano. Mourinho, relax. I, I get it's a Lamborghini, relax. No, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Come but on. He, he, well, are you going to be the guy who says Jimmy Lozano's not the guy? Because I, I, I don't know. I'm still know. not convinced of his resume. And as I've said all, all along, Herc, I'm still not convinced that what he did in this Gold Cup is really all that impressive. If the U.S. brings their A team, if Canada brings their that. A team, are you convinced that, that Mexico wins this that. tournament? We will get to that. All right, but that's what we're relying on here. That's no, what we're relying on when no, we say Seth, Jimmy Lozano should get the job. You the Gold heard Cup. My take. You're not relying on anything because you haven't heard my take. What you're doing is you're already giving your opinion. Now, if you think Jimmy Lozano's not the man, say, say so right now. Is he or is he not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think he's the man. Okay. No, I think Mexico can do better. Okay. And the reason you want and the reason you want Mexico to go with Jimmy Lozano is out of fear and not ambition. That's no way to make decisions, Herc. You may be right. You may be right. Here's my fear. Here's my fear. I fear that the Mexican directivo, the Mexican federation is so incompetent that they won't find anybody better. I fear that Jimmy Lozano mm. is the lesser okay. of the evils. I fear that okay. this is as good as it's going to get with these players. And if you don't stick with Jimmy Lozano, who gives you a chance of winning, it's not going to happen. You're absolutely right. It is fear. Fear of incompetence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will agree. They could do worse. I am more convinced of Jimmy Lozano after this tournament than before. Primarily, not just because of the results, which is obviously important, but the way the team played. Like, if you look at how they played under Tata Martino, if you look at how they played under Diego Coca, it was not just bad results. It was really bad soccer. There was a, there was a function to the midfield, uh, and some of that is, is definitely down to competition in this tournament. But that's the kitchen for the Mexican national team. I always say they got to be more pragmatic, yes. But they're going to have to be good on the ball. You're going to have to have a midfield that can take over games, certainly against CONCACAF competition. And... Even though on paper I'm not convinced of what we saw in the Gold Cup, 
The eyeball test. The eyeball test looked very good. He definitely has his look team that, playing man. better. So, look at that. Uh, and, and look at that. And, and there's got... How much how much stock do you put in the vibe all that the, the players are saying? Because remember, we questioned it when it was about Greg Berhalter, but now all these guys are backing Jimmy Lozano. Is that is not that like weight? this? And, not and like how this. much weight should that I carry? I never heard Greg Berhalter. I never heard Greg Berhalter have this type of backing from any of the players. It was like, yeah, we felt good under Greg. It's a good chemistry. This was more than what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Normal players do. There's usually like a little digest or a notebook or a playbook that the players go through and that they say, et cetera, et cetera. This, was, this goes beyond that. Now, this is what I will say. Jimmy Lozano, you talked about that midfield. The only game all this Gold Cup that Panama was outpossessed was this game. Jimmy Lozano, every single sub he made in every single game seemed to pan out, seemed to make an impact in the game. Whether it was Costa Rica where the three subs linked up and scored a goal or it was uh, Santiago Jimenez in the final, he just hit all the right buttons. And he's been hitting the right buttons with what he says and how he does it and how he makes his team play. All right, Herc, before we move on from the Gold Cup, let's go big picture, really big picture, giant picture, gigante de CONCACAF, the giant of CONCACAF picture. All right, so it's a Gold Cup win for Mexico. We know not everybody brought their A teams, but what does it mean for El Tri, Herc, and their standing in the region? Nothing's changed since the last time you asked me. It's it's the U.S. right now. And listen, Jimmy Lozano himself post-game, the presser Mm -hmm. said, uh, some have come close to us. One has passed us. There's clear reflection of where they are right now in this pecking order, of what this tournament was. Now listen, Tata Martino under the same circumstances against the same competition, his team didn't look good. Diego Coca at home versus Jamaica, a lesser Jamaica, if you will, in that moment, didn't look great. Jimmy Lozano has come in and given this team something to fight for, something to play for. He's given the fans hope. But I think there's a strong feeling amongst fans and pundits that this was a B-rate tournament, that Canada didn't send seven mm-hmm. of the best players, that the U.S. didn't send anywhere near a, a full team. Uh, I think Jimmy Lozano's conscious of Mexico's moment. And you, if you're a Mexican football fan or a pundit, you have to not get dragged into the past and think, look at the scorecard. Look how many Gold Cups we have. Look at our history, you know, our 100-year-old football history and what we have. Mm-hmm. Times have changed, and if you're so caught up in the past, you're going to not see what's in front of you, and what's in front of you right now is that you're playing catch-up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. I mean, from a Mexico fan standpoint, I think it kind of stops the free fall. Like, we were getting to a point where the conversation was not going to be, is Mexico even with the U.S.? Is Mexico even with Canada? Is Mexico one of the top three teams in the region? If a B team for Canada or this B team for the U.S., which I think was, we discussed this, significantly behind the 2021 B team that won the Gold Cup. If that team beats you, if Jamaica's A team, for whatever their progress has been, beats you, if Panama's A team beats you, now you've dropped into the into the muck yeah. of CONCACAF. You're not even in the elite, if you want to say use the word elite when it comes to CONCACAF. You're stretching it a little bit. But you're not even in the elite. This, to me was a critical performance because it establishes the floor. And I said this before, but Mexican soccer right now needs to a little bit stop dreaming about the ceiling uh, and start worrying about the floor. And at least they established the floor here, Herc. And that, to me, was was very, very important. I think it's still clear. The U.S., we know A-team, miles ahead of Mexico. And, and it looked pretty clear in the Nations League miles ahead of Canada. I think I would put Mexico right now ahead of Canada based on what we saw in this Gold Cup. I know Canada 
only sends their B team. But I still think that Mexico right now deserves that second st- spot, just ahead of Canada and well behind the United States. Yeah, I didn't like what I saw from Canada in the Nations League. And it's, they have very talented players, but right now, this moment, the way that Jimmy Lasana has this team playing, they definitely could compete and actually beat them. Of course, the problem is when you look at recent history between the two, they've not beaten Canada in over two years. When you look at the World Cup qualifying, I mean, you talk about that floor, and I'm glad you brought that up. They've not beaten the U.S. men's national team in six. Uh, they actually only beat Central America and the Caribbean in World Cup qualifying, so they need to establish that floor and you're absolutely right because Jimmy Lozano, what he's, able, what he's been able to do is kind of stop that free fall if albeit for a brief moment. All right, so the Gold Cup, no doubt, just part of a busy summer of soccer here in the United States. We got some summer friendlies coming for you Wednesday across the ESPN family of networks, 9 a.m. Eastern on ESPN2 and ESPN Deportes. We got Manchester United against Olympique Lyon and then Chelsea against Wrexham. That one's 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, also on Wednesday on ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and right here on ESPN+. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Sunday night here in Fort Lauderdale. What truly felt like a historic, a watershed moment, not just in MLS history, but in American soccer history as Lionel Messi and, yes, his longtime Barcelona teammate Sergio Busquets also were finally uh, introduced. The fans sat through a longer than two-hour lightning delay, all to hear Messi speak for just a few minutes. Here's some of what he said. Thank you very 
Messi is ready. Uh, what about the team he's joining? Well, as we've told you many times, they're last place in the Eastern Conference, last place in all of Major League Soccer. Help on the way. Beyond Busquets, looks like Jordi Alba's coming soon. Inter-Miami also linked with a couple prospects out of South America. Uh, Herc, I got to witness it live, so people will hear from me in just a little bit. But I know between the Gold Cup final, you were kind of keeping an eye on, on the unveil, as they called it here live. Uh, what'd you make of what you saw? Listen, I've not seen many things in Major League Soccer quite like this. I love the fact that it was pretty much in all Spanish, uh, Messi and uh, his part of it. Uh, it. It speaks to the Miami feel. It speaks to the globalization of, uh, of Messi, of what Major League Soccer is trying to accomplish. Um, I will be honest. Everything I got to see, the highlights, were on social media. Um, where I was, unfortunately, could not catch that. I was in the stadium. Mm -hmm. They didn't have anything in the stadium about Messi uh, or Messi's presentation. His Which is funny because it was, it was being announced at halftime of the Gold Cup final. You'd have thought they'd, they'd have made that effort. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was only announced on one television network. Um, a Spanish mm. one. I don't believe the English television network had that going on. Uh, but definitely inside the stadium, I saw nothing resembling any messy type of propaganda. Um, but I'm not surprised about what I saw in the highlights of what I saw. Uh, I am surprised that it was a two-hour rainstorm and delay, and people mm -hmm. stuck around for it. People were still yeah. about that. Yeah. I, mean, I think it just speaks to who Lionel Messi is. Yeah. I think for me, that's the biggest takeaway from the week on kind of messy watch down here is the level of his fame. I think when you're in the soccer world, in the soccer bubble, you know exactly who Messi is. But to see it unfold here in South Florida, you know, the viral images of the supermarket trip, the chicken sandwich, the mojito, the craft beer, all in his name. In the first week he's here, you know, before he's even played a game. And then last night, you know, we were here. We were huddled in our cars. Like, it was a legit, intense two-hour lightning storm. And there were some people who left. But they clearly came back because there was a full stadium waiting to hear from this guy. And, you know, one of the things that stood out in the brief, brief comments that he made to me, Herc, was he said, I'm coming with the, the same desire to win and compete. And it's just words. And it's just words in an unveil. But I'll tell you this from being here. Before this dude signed his contract, he was at the training facility three times, Herc. That's, that is almost unheard of. So I think it gives us a window into just how seriously Lionel Messi is going Stop, to take Seb. this project. For those who say he's in vacation mode, I think we're going to see a very committed Lionel Messi, and I think we're going to see him playing 90 minutes sooner than people realize. Stop, Seb. I, I'm glad that you think he's going to be committed. I hope he will be committed, but you're probably the same same type of person. So look, he went to the supermarket. He's just like us. Look at the humility on this man. And look, he, he ran a red light. Yeah. It's just like us when it was probably a publicity stunt at the supermarket, which sponsors the team, and probably a publicity stunt with the vehicle that sponsors the league. But mm. yeah, he was, at the he was at the training station three times. So yeah. Yeah. Look at you. Cynical Herc. Cynical Herc. You spent a few weeks on the road. And here comes cynical Herc. All right, uh, speaking of cynics, Cristiano Ronaldo famously turned down an opportunity to play in Major League Soccer for the riches of the Saudi Arabian League. And recently, he was talking about MLS. Let's hear what he had to say. I think 
na Europa, isso tenho a certeza que não vou, não vou jogar mais na Europa, quer jogar na Arábia, como disse, há seis meses Unidos, atrás. Não, também não. Acho que a Arábia, o campeonato é muito melhor que nos Estados Unidos. Ooh, the Saudi Arabian League is much better than the league in the United States. Herc, are we giving CR7 to get lost here? I, I don't know. And the reason I say this, and I know, I know it's very difficult to measure just like the yeah. best of the league without knowing what the middle of the pack looks like, right? That would be a true measurement of the league. It would probably be somewhere in the middle, uh, the averages. Al-Khalil, do you remember that team? Um, they were the team that beat yeah. the Sounders and then beat the Brazilian team in the Club World Cup. They're a pretty strong team. If you look at all the signings um, that uh, this league has had in the last window or two, let's say there was an all-star game between the two, I'd watch. Absolutely. Absolutely would watch. Somebody should look into doing um, MLS All-Stars versus whatever team Cristiano's playing on or whatever league Cristiano's in. Mm -hmm. That would be a massive draw. But I would have my serious doubts if you put 30 players, top 30 mm. players in Qatar versus top 30 players in MLS and how that would go and how you would measure the two see what is a better league. I don't know enough about the Qatari league, or sorry, the Saudi Arabian league, excuse me, um, to really give you an educated answer on here. But how could you just look at this and, and immediately say he's just bitter? That's why he's saying this. I don't think it's just sour grapes. Yeah. Well... I mean, if I'm thinking of a comparison here, I'm obviously going to make it with Messi. Why are guys going to Saudi Arabia? They're going effectively only for the money, right? right? And it is, it is not big money. It's like earth-shattering, ridiculous money that's being offered. And that's why players are going. They're not going because it's a better level of competition. They're not going because they think it's going to be a better league that's going to test them more. That, that's not any part of the motivation. When you look at MLS, I do think players can look at it and say, there's a way that I can test myself in this league and still remain relevant at the international level because we're seeing it more. What, 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 players what from players? South America. I mean, Thiago Almada is a great example. Um, there's players from Europe who can play in MLS. Not the major nations, but, but smaller nations and still be relevant with their national teams. And if you look at a guy like Messi, Herc, he did have both choices, right? And he really had the best of both choices. We know that, that the option for Cristiano Ronaldo was basically Kansas City, that's it, in MLS. Lionel Messi had exactly the choice he wanted in MLS, but that choice was a billion dollars less than Saudi Arabia, and he still picked MLS. So if the Saudi league is better... Then Lionel Messi is crazy for turning down a billion dollars to come to Major League Soccer. It's crazy well, to do he, that. He, I think there's he something turned, happening he here in MLS that dollars. makes it better. Hold on. That makes it better than down Saudi a, Arabia. An immediate billion dollars, and what will he get in the long term, a long run, from being associated with Major League Soccer and having mm. a franchise in Major League Soccer, Seb? Yeah, hey, and as producer Beto says, a healthy marriage because Antonella is not going to just go anywhere. So uh, oh, let me just add this. I will add this little wrinkle here, okay? On Auto Nunca today, we mm -hmm. had Hugo Sanchez, El Hugo Sanchez, Mexican national team, uh, Mexican national, just legend in general, uh, in the program. And we were talking about, like, who would have a bigger impact, you know, in North America, Pelé or Messi? Because he got to see Pelé, and now he's seen mm. Messi, and he saw everything mm. about it. He's like, I'll tell you what, I have a special place in my heart for Pelé. He was a guy that I idolized and I wanted to emulate. He goes, I came to the San Diego Soccers, to North America, and, and then the Dallas Burn, because I wanted to follow in the footsteps of Pelé. I really do think with Messi here, there will be a domino effect. So even if yes. Saudi Arabia is better today, 
That could be a China effect, if you will. When China had all that money, all these mm-hmm. players are going in. Doesn't mean it's going to last. I do think the lasting effect of Messi will be a domino effect that will give them the edge. Yep. Once Messi says it's okay to go to MLS in or near your prime, a lot of other guys will probably be following suit. All right. Uh, one of the many people I got to speak to at last night's Messi unveil was the commissioner of Major League Soccer. That's right. Don Garber gave us some time. Let's listen in to what he had to say. Feeling great, Special. I mean, you've been around us for a long time. So many great things happening with Major League Soccer, including this year, a new team, an announcement of our 30th team in San Diego, and what could top this? You know, when you have, in my opinion, the best player to ever play the game, say MLS is his league of choice, that is just a momentous moment for Major League Soccer, and I think is going to tell the world that, you know, we're a league that has great aspirations and is going to attract great players and great partners and do wonderful things in the years ahead. You talked about those great aspirations. I remember back 2010, 2011, you talked about Major League Soccer maybe being one of the the top leagues in the world by 2022. With Messi's arrival, how how close do you feel to that? You know, listen, there's so many great leagues and, and you know that well. And it's not just about a player, you know, it's about all the stadiums that are being built, all the teams that are being launched. 10 million fans came through our stands last year. The quality of the competition, as you well know, continues to grow and earning the respect of the rest of the world. Uh, the Leagues Cup coming up, you know, an interleague competition with Mexico, all those things I think speak to the fact that in many ways we have become one of the top leagues in the world. Depends on how many, how many teams are in Absolutely. that top, Sebastian. So I know we could have a long debate about that. Uh, let's talk about money because it turns out that Lionel Messi will have turned down billions of dollars to come to Inter Miami. Can you take us inside kind of the final stages of the negotiation, what you guys were able to put together to draw him here? You know, it speaks to the aspiration and the courage and and energy and ambition of the Moss family and David Beckham. You know, together uh, they had their sights set on on Messi and obviously had to wait for him to be out of contract. But when, when David was granted this team and, and we were coming to Miami in 2014, he said, I'm going to bring some of the best players in the world. And I don't know that he was thinking about Lionel Messi at that time, but Jorge Mas, when he bought the team said you know I'm gonna go after those players that are gonna really excite and inspire and that starts tonight I mean look at the madness here it's really pretty exciting so I'm very excited for them uh, tapping off their ambition I'm, I'm proud of them and that ambition has a lot to do with how much money they can spend obviously the salary cap a huge part of that we see Lionel Messi now commanding 50 60 million dollars do you feel like we're close to a place where MLS can if not get rid of the salary cap maybe loosen it a little bit yeah, to make things more competitive salary caps are good you know when you're you're it, it's not the salary cap that is the issue it's what do you do with that and also how do you spend outside that cap look at what miami is spending outside that cap look at that the the level of of players underneath that this these young players that we're signing this is not uh, spending is not the issue it's how we spend and how strategic we are and how do we go about ensuring that we have a product that now with a very sophisticated audience that you cater to they need to look at us and say that this is a league that is their choice and I think that we'll continue to grow our investment in the sport and continue to track great prizes. This has already obviously opened quite a few doors. There's discussions about uh, potential Major League Soccer teams joining Libertadores. What would participation in a tournament like that mean to MLS clubs? You know, listen, we again, we've talked about this. So many international things happening, Sebastian. Copa America next summer, World, uh, Club World Cup the following summer, the World Cup. Let's wait and see how all of it plays out. All right, Herc Rare, we get some time with the commissioner of Major League Soccer. Anything you say there stand out to you? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because I know he doesn't want to compare. 
to the China League or the Chinese League and the influx of money that came through there. And I was having a conversation earlier uh, with, I was going to say professor, with producer uh, Beto about how long the money in Saudi Arabia will last. Um, I do think it's more of a lasting effect. I understand what he's going for. Uh, I just think he's underestimating the amount of money being invested in Saudi Arabia and the impact that could have with how Major League Soccer will be viewed versus Saudi Arabia, if that makes sense. Yeah. You, you saw him dodge the question there about Libertadores, uh, but he, he, he pretty much went straight on with the salary cap question. He said salary cap is a good thing. So I think a lot of us who saw the messy deal and were hoping, okay, here comes a big loosening of the cap. Uh, it might not come as quickly as a lot of us would like. I think we might have to wait some time before the, the MLS owners kind of in the collective, because it's clear Inter Miami is getting ready to do some big things, but MLS owners in the collective really uh, loosen the purse strings. All right, so Lionel Messi is arriving at Inter Miami. That means some other players have to make way. And of course, uh, one of the players making way, none other than Rodolfo Pizarro, who is now no longer with the team. He signed with AK in Greece, where he'll be reunited with Orbelin Pineda and Matias Almeida, who coached him in Liga Mekis. This, of course, on the heels of an Inter-Miami announcement over the weekend, stating that Pizarro and the club had, quote, mutually agreed on a contract termination, which is super interesting, because he had uh, at least a million bucks left on his deal. Herc, hmm. are you cool with it? That are you cool with Pizarro's, let's call it, uh, inglorious exit from Major League Soccer? I am cool with it. Um, I think all parties are cool with it because it seems to me like they came to some sort of agreement or why would a player leave just mm -hmm. like that? Um, and, and check this out. He got what he wanted. Rodolfo Pizarro actually did it. He told us he was going to use Major League Soccer to get to Europe. And what do you know? At 29 years of age, he uses Major League Soccer to get to Europe. The man called his shot. This is what I will say, okay? I'm not somebody who rates the Greek league very highly. In fact, I would argue mm -hmm. that there's probably a better level at Liga Mekis. And the only good thing about the Greek league is that you may get Champions League competition. You may get European competition. Mm -hmm. That's about it. That's about it, okay? I don't discount for a fact that for as down and out as people may say Pizarro is and has been, because that's a reality, he can get back to the Mexican Most national team. Most talented player of this generation, you once said. Most talented player of this generation. His generation, not this generation. This man, I am not kidding you. With the way things are right now in the Mexican national team, if he has <laughs> a good year in Greece, Orbelin Pineda has already used Greece to propel himself onto a Mexican national team opportunity. Can you really tell me there's not a world where, let's say he kills it in Greece, where he's not called into the, to the Mexican national team? If he kills it in Greece, yes. I, I very much doubt that he's going to kill it in no, Greece, no, I'm just, Herc, based I'm off saying, not just, just the Inter-Miami stuff. I'm just, I'm just asking you a question. Yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of Mexican players in Europe. If a Mexican player does well in Europe, they will certainly get a shot with the national Who's team. Who's the I mean, coach there, by No the way? doubt about that. Who's the that. coach? Matias Almeida. When's Matias Almeida. Time, who, when's the last time he played? You might argue you got the best out of Pizarro. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Seb. Yeah. I, I, look. Yeah. Look, it, it, it didn't go his way, nor 
Inter-Miami's mm-hmm. way, I think we could all say a lot of mistakes were done by both parties. Uh, Inter-Miami practically cheated, got caught. Roster construction was so terrible. It put every player behind the eight ball. He seemed to be a scapegoat for a lot of problems. A lot of those problems he created himself. He's not free from blame. Absolutely not at all. But I 100% still think this is a salvageable player especially with Matias Almeida. And at 29 years old, if he has a great season, albeit a good season, because you said it yourself, not a lot of Mexican players in Europe. And the Greek level is not a level that I would say is top, what would you like, 17 in the world? 18 maybe? I don't know what that level is. If you go by there, if he does well in that league, in those competitions, I could see a world where he's called back into the Mexican national team. Uh, so the reason we were kind of chuckling at the way Inter-Miami announced this is that the reason not to call it a buyout is you preserve your buyout then, which will allow Inter-Miami to probably clear another roster spot at some point and make room for one of these other um, stars that's coming in. I have a question As far as Pizarro, I, I, I respect that you think he's salvageable, Herc, but we got to be honest. This is one of the, the biggest busts in MLS history. This guy was a, a top 10 most expensive transfer yeah. fee. Oh, he was yeah, the yeah. first DP for Inter-Miami. I mean... Major, major bust. And I got to be honest, anybody who would watch this dude in the years before he came to Miami would have known. I mean, of all of Inter Miami's mistakes, this for me has to be the worst. This is a huge bust and a total whiff. This was the worst Inter Miami mistake for you? Wow. Okay. Yes. Uh, this was their first DP. This was their first DP. They spent $12 million on a dude whose stock was plummeting. Rayados couldn't get rid of him quick enough. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay, I don't know how Tell to me I'm wrong. that one. I don't think you're right. <laughs> that one. Hmm. Uh, I just want to add something right. on, the buyout, on the buyout. Is the buyout preserved, or is the buyout only used to buy all the players' salary, or is it still considered a mm-hmm. buyout if you just pay half of his salary? I'm just curious. Ooh, we're getting deep into the minutia of the MLS salary cap. We'll have to... Uh, if there's anybody out we'll there, have to, let me know. We'll have to wait on an answer there. Yeah, somebody somebody let you know, I'm sure. All right, Herc, let's speak about Mexican internationals. One who's moving to Europe. One who may be moving back. Chucky Lozano, one year left on his uh, deal with Napoli. And things are getting tense. This is a video of, let's say, an uncomfortable conversation between Chucky and Aurelio De Laurentiis. He's the owner of Napoli. They apparently want Chucky to sign an extension, but they want him to do so and take a, a major salary cut, or they're going to sell him this summer. Enter LAFC, they're interested. Here's De Laurentiis with more. Qual è la situazione con Lozano? Ma non credo che Lozano sia un uomo stupido. Io credo che Lozano, quando arriverà il momento di conoscere questo nuovo allenatore e sarà in ritiro, capirà che probabilmente forse è meglio allungare il contratto oppure è meglio approdare ad altri lidi. All right, Herc, Chucky Lozano, is it time for him to leave Europe and more importantly, come to Major League Soccer with LAFC? Did you just see, did everybody just witness this man try to strong arm Chucky Lozano? I just want you to know what's going on here, okay? Mm-hmm. Gazzetto dello Sport is reporting that Napoli, okay, they want Chucky Lozano, as you well explained, to sign an extension. So they, so Chucky Lozano doesn't leave on a free. His contract ends in June 2024. So in six months, this winter, he could sign on a free 
transfer. That's how it works. So they want him to sign an extension so that doesn't happen. They can sell him, but they want him to lower his salary. Or guess what? They are going to freeze him out. They will make his life hell mm. and the opportunities to play for a guy who turns 28 in about 12 days will dwindle. No playing time in the stands unless you play by our rules. They're trying to strong arm this guy. They're trying to give him an ultimatum here. So you pretty much, you're forcing Chucky Lozano's hand. There are not gonna be a lot of European clubs at the level that maybe Chucky Lozano or many mm -hmm. Mexican national team or pundits want to see him at. That's going to be a reality, okay? There are a few clubs that can deal with his salary demands. And unfortunately, I don't know how many of those clubs would be willing to do it in Europe. Saudi Arabia is being reported and Major League Soccer. 28, that's around the age that Carlos Vela came to Major League Soccer and LAFC and Ugh. everything changed for both, for LAFC yep. and Carlos Vela, whether you think it was right or wrong, and it ended up being the move that Carlos Vela wanted, and it ended up working for Carlos Vela, maybe not so much more with the Mexican national team. Now that is something we need to focus on. It's what Chucky Lozano wants and what is good for the Mexican national team. It's very difficult for me to tell a player to go somewhere, take less money, but in this case, he absolutely needs to stay in Europe because this is by far the only player in Europe, offensively speaking right now, that has somewhat proven himself in Europe. That some, this, that's the closest to a Class A offensive player that you have. Uh, Napoli was a very good team in Europe. He was a consistent player, played over half of the games, half of the minutes, maybe didn't have the success he would have liked or Napoli would have liked, but he was consistent. He was a big part of why they would done so well in Europe, in Serie A and in Champions League. But if Chucky Lozano leaves and comes to Major League Soccer, it would be yet another blow to Mexican football and go against everything that they are so desperately trying to shed. Yeah. I mean, panic stations if you're a Mexico fan. So first you got to worry about Liga Mekis offering guys like Eric Gutierrez enough money to come back. Then you got to worry about MLS going after the, the bigger names. They're going to offer them money to come back. And now you mentioned Saudi Arabia. Now we got to worry about Saudi Arabia maybe going after a guy like Chucky Lozano. All of these things are going to pull the best Mexican players, the very, very few that they are, uh, out of Europe. And honestly... This feels like Carlos Vela 2.0, and, and I know you say it worked out for Carlos Vela. I don't think he had a good 2018 World Cup, and we can argue that back and forth. What you can argue is that within a year, he's totally removed from the Mexican national team. And basically the same thing happened with Gio, Giovanni Dos Santos, and the same thing's going to happen with Hector Herrera. And as these guys come back to MLS, it's a huge, huge problem for the Mexican national team, and especially a guy like Chucky. I know that things are on a downward trajectory. But, Herc, I have to believe that there's a middle ground for a player like this. There's got to be somewhere in Europe, maybe somewhere in the Premier League, where your teams further down the table still have huge possibilities when it comes to player salaries that Chucky Lozano could go. Because if he leaves Europe, if he leaves Napoli, right, the top, top end of Europe, to go to LAFC, there's no way, Herc, that you're going to convince me that that's not going to have a huge, huge huge implication on the rest of his career, especially with the national team. I don't want you to get upset, but when's the last like banner game for Chucky Lozano on the Mexican national team? 
Was it the Germany goal? Well, he's not going to find more of them no, playing for LAFC. No, I'm just asking you a question. Because, yeah. you yeah. know, so, so maybe it's time for the Mexican national team to move on from Chucky Lozano as well, if that's what Chucky Lozano wants to do. and go Because he was healthy for this Gold Cup, by the way, right? He's, he was in preseason. He, he's there. So, yeah. so I understand what you're saying. And, and, and I say Mexican football, not the Mexican national team. It's a blow for Mexican football mm. because you want your top players playing at top levels and to continue to inspire the generations to play at the top levels. And that's not been the case. And I think he still has a lot to offer. But when it comes to the Mexican national team, it's Dan Delda. He's been in Delda. He, he's been in debt with them. After that goal against Germany, 2018, man, I thought I thought he'd be playing for the biggest clubs in the world. Can't can't pretend I'm not a little disappointed in how the last uh, few years have gone. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Let's get to some slightly uh, less big goals. These are preseason goals, a preseason version uh, of Run It Back. Hey, Ricardo Pepe. Getting his first goal with the PSV after the big money move, Herc. Always good to get on the score sheet. Look at that. Good footwork. Inside out. Looked like he megged the player on the shot. Right here. You're going to feel it. Look. Good footwork right there. Does he meg the player on the shot? I think he does. Yep. Good stuff from Ricardo Pepe. like those PSV kits, too. Looking good. Speaking of looking good, Mr. Run It Back. Brandon Aronson with his first goal here. For Union Berlin in a friendly. Blows my mind that he was, he was treated badly, but he also played badly for Leeds, got relegated, and now he's going to be in Europe with Union Berlin. And he's scoring a game like this. He's going off on the right foot. And not the only Aronson doing that. Paxton with not one, not two, not three, four goals for Eintracht Frankfurt in their friendly. I'm sorry, did you say four? What was the score I of this said game? four, okay? What was the it's not St. Kitts and Nevis, so relax. <laughs> What's the score in this game? Come on. Who did play uh, the game? I don't know the final score, but I know Eintracht Frankfurt scored 15 goals in this game. I believe that's correct. They oh, scored 15. Good. Still, he got four, Herc. Look at the don't goalie. Who is that? Uh, from the same game, Timothy Chandler. Remember me. <laughs> How about this? I once saw Timothy Chandler melt under the San Pedro Sula sun. Was, Don't do it. it was Don't, I mean, else. it was like a hundred years ago in Honduras. Everybody melts in Honduras. Ah. You gotta hate on him. He's scoring in the preseason here. Uh, teammates with Paxton Aronson. And good friend of the show, Johan Gomez, who's gotten the move up to Bundesliga 2 with Eintracht Braunschweig. Scored against Real Betis. There we go, chump chat. It's a good finish. Look at this. A little diving finish. I'll take that. Good ball in. It's not an easy finish by any means. Well done. Remember, Johan was in the uh, third tier last season, so good to see him moving on up. Speaking of transfer news, Gazzetto della Sport in Italy 
Uh, among those reporting that Yunus Musa and AC Milan have agreed to personal terms on a contract that would actually pay Musa a 2 million euros per season. Valencia, his current club, are demanding 25 million euros. Milan don't want to spend more than 20. Uh, Musa have also, by the way, been linked with Fulham. Herc, where do you think Yunus Musa should go? Is it AC Milan and getting reunited with Christian Pulisic? Just get out. Get out of Valencia, man. Valencia is a, mm-hmm. a shadow of what it once was, a shell of a once great team. Peter Lim, the owner of Valencia, is one of the worst owners in all sports. All sports. This man has driven that once great team into the ground. Now, Milan want to spend somewhere, the reports I'm reading, around $22 million, right? Lim wants like 28.30, okay, something like that, six or eight million more. He's going to destroy mm-hmm. this deal and ruin it for everybody. It's going to be something like what we saw Edson Alvarez, where all of a sudden they're going to go elsewhere. We got to make a decision. We got to look elsewhere. And it could impact a good player with a very bright future. There's a big difference between playing in a club that is relegation threatened in La Liga to one of the most historic clubs in the world and a Champions League semi-finalist and front-runner to win the Scudetto like Milan. I just want him to get out. I, we've always, we've already seen Fulham reported. We've seen Milan. Uh, I think somewhere else in the Premier League. Just get out. Uh, Milan would be a great place for him. He speaks, to, he speaks Italian very well. I believe he lived in Italy at some point in his life as well. Um, he's, he's embraced the culture. It's a very historic team. He's got a few friendly faces there. It makes sense. But just get out of Valencia. I mean, the idea of Christian Pulisic, Yunus Musa, maybe Balogun, I know he's been linked to a couple places, playing for AC Milan is, is pretty tantalizing. But Hurricane, the direct comparison between Fulham and AC Milan, and we don't even necessarily need to compare the two clubs directly, but just the scale of the two clubs, right? Like, we were pretty confident that Christian Pulisic would not have an issue finding playing time at AC Milan. Do you feel the same way about Yunus Musa? Because I would feel a lot more confident in him getting playing time at a club the size of Fulham as compared to AC Milan. You think he's ready to start at AC Milan? Because I think at this point in his career, that's what he needs. If we look back at the time at Valencia, he got moved all over. I'm not saying it was his fault, but he struggled uh, at times to lock down a starting job. That's got to be the next step for me. Not Champions League football, not dreaming big. It's locking down the starting gig. Yeah, he'll That's have a, why I think Fulham might be a better fit than AC Milan. He'll have an opportunity if he's purchased anywhere around the estimated price. If it's anywhere close to, let's say it's $26 million. There's no Italian team, Serie A team, that's going to spend that much on a central midfielder and not play him. The, the problem will be where they play him. Um, because Serie A, they, they like their central midfielders with a little bit of bite. They like them with a little bit of uh, history to their game. Like, you have to know how to play that position in Serie A. Could you see him as a double pivot with Krunic on the side? That could be something very interesting. But if mm. they spend that type of cheddar for you, if they spend that type of money, you're going to get opportunities. Whether you succeed or not, that's up to you. But he will play. All right, how about we move on to another key piece of the American MMA midfield, that, of course, being Weston McKinney, who has left off Juventus' roster for their preseason tour, which, of course, is taking place 
here in the United States. McKinney has also reportedly been told he's not in the plans for Juventus next season. He's 24 years old. He's coming off, obviously, the rough loan stint at Leeds. Kirk, how surprised are you that he's been left off this preseason roster, and how worried are you about what it potentially means for McKinney's career? Well, I'm not too worried what it means for his career, um, per se, um, but it has been a rough six, seven months for Weston McKinney at the club level. You go to Leeds, you had, you got relegated, you had things go the way they did at Leeds with the fans, um, with your play, and now you come back to Allegri, and Allegri doesn't even want you to be part of the team. And I know there were differences of where he played, um, that it was the right position or not. But when you are an American player, and now it's Timothy Weah, but you're one of the very one of the most recognizable American players, um, and you're on the roster, and you're gonna do a USA tour, and the club goes out of their way to tell you you won't be part of it. They're they're essentially saying we don't want to cash in in America with one of the most recognizable American faces, that tells you something about his standing with the club. That worries me. How things can go down uh, in negotiations or dealings out of the club, that worries me when it's not even amicable enough for him to be in this tour, to be with them in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like a huge opportunity missed for him and feels just like a huge summer for Weston McKinney when it comes to his career. He's not one of these guys that's 20, 21. I know we say 24, it's it's young, but it's a critical juncture of the career. Uh, and you really feel like this next move just has to be a hit for him. and actually probably has to be a hit for a lot of guys in the American pool. Just generally, uh, this is a major, major summer. And of course, all summer we will be following uh, all of the latest transfer news on ESPN FC. Of course, available to you seven days a week here on ESPN+. Plus. Don't you dare miss a single episode, especially not Tuesday's ESPN FC work. Yes, that's correct. I'll be sitting in the host chair. And perhaps a star of the future, Melissa Thompson, 17 years of age, turns 18 in November. So, so positive, so positive, and she scored! What an extraordinary moment! Alyssa Thompson! Thompson, got inside of Merrick. Here's Alyssa Thompson, the shot off the post, and then knocked in. Alyssa Thompson, congratulations on making the World Cup team. What was your reaction when you got the call from Vladko? I was relieved, honestly, super excited. I like my family was around me, so having them there was really nice and just making them proud and they were crying. So I was just really excited. If you looked at kind of the coverage around the roster selection, people were talking about the bubble choices. That's what everybody focuses on. Not because of your talent, but I think because of your late arrival, a lot of people said bubble. Did you feel like you were on the bubble? Yeah, I, I mean, I was like just hoping and praying that I would be able to make it. It was pretty clear from the coaching staff that National Women's Soccer League action was going to be super decisive in terms of who made this team. How did you approach then the weeks and the months starting the NWSL season? Because 
you know, you're launching your pro career at that time too, but you also have to, in the very short term, be productive to make this team. Yeah, I feel like I was just playing like myself and trying to be confident in this new environment, which is pretty hard, but um, having my teammates around me, like supporting me and making sure that I felt like I was good enough to be there was really helpful. Um, and I was just really excited that I was playing well. For a lot of people, I think you kind of popped onto the radar last fall. You know, you make the debut against England at Wembley. what a moment. At that point, what did you think about this World Cup? Did you see it as a reality? I mean, at Wembley, I wasn't really thinking about the World Cup. I was just thinking about how <laughs> I'm playing here right now and being at my first call-up was crazy. Um, I feel like it really became a reality for me like once I started playing in NWSL games and showing that I was good enough to be there um, and then seeing if the coaching staff would think that I would be good enough to play on the full team. People would assume the jump from high school to pro would, would cost a player a lot more than it did you. Why, why hasn't it seemed to to be that much of a struggle. I feel like like on the field or off the field or on the field. I mean you, you stepped right into a professional level where a lot of players will go through years and years of college and, and other training and you rocked right up and, and looked like you belong. Why? Um, I feel like like during preseason a lot of my teammates helped me to that and I think I got even better during um, that time and also just being able to be with a lot of veterans on the team showing me like how to stay confident in myself and like just playing how I play I think playing with the boys helped me a lot um, to get to where I am and um, helped me to be at that level um, when I got into the game. You took a big decision not to go to college you think if you'd have gone to college, you'd be on this roster? I don't know, because I feel like there would be no like, way for people to see me play or for people to, or for the coaches to see um, how like, good I am, I guess. What went into that decision? It was a really hard decision because I really was aiming for Stanford and wanting to go there. It has always been a dream of mine to play with my sister there and um, just go to Stanford for education too. Um, they're just such an amazing school. Right now I thought the best decision like for me soccer wise to, was to go pro because um, it just that will make me only better and I people will be able to see like my talent more and it will be shown. It's one thing to break through at club level, one thing to break through at Angel City. It's another thing to break through and be noticed at this level. What's been the key for you to make that jump at the senior international level? Staying true to myself and being able to be confident in what I do and continuing to um, want to be better and be um, the best player that I can be. I always strive for greatness so being able to like continue to grow as like as a player and um, like playing games against like the best women in the world has really helped me too. What's it like being the the young player on this team, so much better and experienced players I'm sure you've looked up to for, for years, players like Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, just to name a few. What's it like being in the dressing room and being a part of this now at your age? It's really wild, honestly. Like, uh, I still can't believe it sometimes. Uh, I've looked up to these players for so long, so I do, like, it's still super crazy to me that I'm here um, and that I'm like a part of their team and I'm, I'm their teammate. <laughs> your first game is against England. What were your first training sessions like though? Because I'm imagining that's the real welcome to the national team moment. They were definitely intense. Everyone was there to win and everyone's there super competitive. It's a super competitive environment. And um, yeah, 
I I haven't experienced anything like it. So being there was definitely like a wake up call. Like you're here, but um, I feel like I did as best I could. <laughs> There's so many good young wide attacking players on this team. When you when you go through a training session, when you look around, how dangerous do you think this attack can be? Uh, very dangerous. I think everyone on, on the attack is really good and we create chances for ourselves and for other people. So playing, like seeing them train and stuff like that has been really eye-opening because they are just such amazing players. So there's obviously pressure on you individually, but from a collective standpoint, what's the weight of expectation with this team that is now back-to-back -back World Cup champions? I feel like there's definitely pressure, but in any World Cup there will be pressure. Um, but I think we're taking this um, as a new World Cup, and we like aren't defending anything. We're attacking it, so we are ready to play anyone. And but like we are focusing on Vietnam right now, but we are ready. Alyssa Thompson, what a story! High school to the pros to the national team to the World Cup. Simply sensational and don't be surprised if she plays a pretty big role in this summer's tournament. Up next in our World Cup interview series, one of five players who go in after their third World Cup title. That's right, Angel City midfielder, Julie Ertz. Julie Ertz, welcome. Congratulations. Third World Cup. What does that mean to you? Everything. I mean, it's just, I think, obviously, my situation, I just feel like this is... Every World Cup is a different journey, and this journey is obviously makes it a little bit more sweet. You had your baby last year, not even a full year ago. Yeah. At any point in there, yes. did this World Cup seem like an impossibility? <laughs> yes. When? I mean, I think the reality is I obviously was my first um, pregnancy with my son, and I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't, I know my body was going to change and the beauty of being a mom and I love it so much but I think the reality is I didn't know what my timeline was going to be and what that looked like and you know logistics change thing as well so it was just I kind of just trust the process and kind of lean on my faith and just was like if it was meant to be that I could at least try and compete then I would try but at least I was going to try. Was it always a goal after birth or was it something that kind of gradually grew into a hey, not only do I want to do this, but maybe the team also needs me to do this. I think it's just hard as a professional athlete to not have an inkling in the back of your head. I also live with a professional athlete that I would go and watch play, you know? So it's hard. It's just part of you, I think, regardless. Like, you never really kind of lose that competitive edge. So I don't want to say it wasn't in the back. I just... I think it was just the first time I just didn't have a lot of answers. Um, but I also, what a beautiful joy it was to be a mom and enjoy that process. So I didn't know. I still feel like I didn't have a lot of answers. I just was listening to my body and praying for the best. When did it go from inkling idea to reality? I think just a big switch happened kind of I mean, there's so many different moments, right? I mean, it doesn't just take one process. I mean, I try to get back as soon as I could. It just, I knew the level that I had to be at to at least even compete to try to have a chance maybe that um, I just had to wait till I got there. And like, I could feel that I was getting better each week and um, I had incredible like 
programming and support system and resources it was just was that timeline enough basically for me and once I just felt like I was like back I was like okay I'm back and I don't know what that looks like I does that look like I'm back to compete on the national level does it look like I'm back I didn't know I just felt now that I felt like regardless of where I was I could compete what were those conversations like with Vladko when you guys first started talking about a comeback tough tough I mean I think not necessarily for him, I think I have no problem talking about the reality and truth of where I was and what I could do, but I think you just start asking the tough questions and like you, they need answers, like I need answers to figure out what that is, the mentality shift, what that looks like for my family, like I don't live in an NWSL market, like there was so many different things that I just was couldn't figure out, I felt like fast enough and so I think he's been an incredible supporter that I could never thank enough. I mean, he allowed me to fall in love and love with the game again, all while doing that, trying to navigate being a new mom. And I think that's just a gift I can never thank thank him enough, like properly. Let's be honest here. I'm a guy. I have you know no clue about childbirth. From an athlete's perspective, how did motherhood impact the athlete? I'm. You know, I was blessed to be able to work out throughout my whole pregnancy, all the way up until like the week I, get, obviously differently, but enough to where I felt like I could, you know, get moving and feel good. And um, my body kind of just remembered how to be me. And obviously there was navigating what that looked like, how to stay healthy, how to do it healthily, getting back in a, in a healthy manner. Um, and becoming strong and change of direction, I think, is the first one to kind of get back. So instead of looking at the long term, which obviously was very clear of what a big year this year was going to be and is, um, I just had to look at it like week by week and just kind of give myself some grace and just like enjoy the process. I actually thoroughly enjoyed the process, even all the running of just wanting to puke and all that. But I think just, I had so much appreciation for my body that like, I think as a woman too, and all the changes with that, I had no idea where my headspace was gonna be. And I just, I just appreciated my body at a different level. I'm curious about that process because people are gonna say, wow, what could she possibly have done to, to stay in shape? You mentioned your husband, you know, how influential was it to, to have somebody else that that knows what this is, because you were really isolated. You were not with an NWSL team. You didn't have that support system. Um, yeah, I think my husband is like, well, one, he's like, takes incredible, like, like he, he just, the way he takes care of his body as an athlete, it's just like a standard that's like so beyond. And so I think just the whole process of it and allowing me to be raw and vulnerable and talk through things and, coming up with a plan that worked for me day like kind of week by week and um was great and I we ended up moving to where I grew up like obviously I've lived we lived in Philly for nine ten years back and forth with Chicago and then all of a sudden I'm back where I grew up and so it was such an emotional timeline because of who was willing to step up and help me in my own state I was back training with coaches that I knew from my youth days and like I got I, I was just it was crazy how it came to like like at the timing it did and who was in my life at the time 
to make me at my best. Like I found individual individual tech session in Arizona. I found the boys team that allowed me this incredible space to fall in love with the game again because they're just kids that love it and they're good and just let me compete and I think that part was just like such a cool part. So regardless of what it what the end was going to look like, I just loved it again. Aside from your desire to be with the team, I think most people who have watched this team since you left, since the Tokyo Olympics, have said, boy, there's something missing in midfield. It feels like Julie Ertz is missing. What did you see when you were watching this team and you weren't a part of it? Well, a lot. I mean, it's like typical after every pretty much Olympics, you have to bring in new talent. You have to try new things. The game is growing. You have to try new formations. You have to just kind of almost throw players out in the fire to learn. It's the only way you get it. But with that comes, I think, a lot of I, especially now there's way more eyes than there was 10 years ago when you would do the same process. It's part of it. You have to learn, you have to adapt. And I think those close games that maybe that they would lose, we're used to winning those by the one zero, not losing the one zero. And I think that's a, also a learned thing that you have to process for these younger players. And so I just think I just saw people competing and trying and flag coast trying to figure out what what is going to be the, the end goal, which is to bring the best and have my players the best at the World Cup. So I think it's just watching it. I could and also being able to have conversations of what they were trying to do and navigate and Obviously, there's been a rotation through injuries during that time. There was players that were kind of going in and out that would probably be typical starters. So it's just, it's just, it's just the way it is. It's just the way the sport goes that you have to, these younger players, you, to in order, you just have to play. You guys are tasked with defending the World Cup title, but I wonder how much of the motivation for this team is avenging what happened in Tokyo and kind of redeeming the disappointment that that tournament was. Yeah, I think that's that's the closest taste in your mouth that you remember. Obviously, we have a lot, every, I mean, it's four years. So you have a whole new team, a whole new coaching staff. It's different. It's not, you know, it's not like it's like you're repeating. They're like, oh, the repeat. It's not the same team. It's not the same players. It's not the same coaching staff. So like, yeah, the that is the back of your head because that is the most recent time and let alone like not winning not playing the way you want to not the holding yourself to the standard that we had set for the way that we wanted to play it was tough i mean for multiple reasons obviously obviously push back a year i can come up with a million excuses but at the end of the day we didn't put the performance on that we wanted regardless if there was no fans there regardless you know if we ended up still getting bronze like it was not what we wanted and so now you have an opportunity to compete and show the way you want. And that's, I think, what people, oh, well, that's what the team is wanting to do. That's what we're focused on, is this tournament, this time, to compete. Real quick, your role, center back or center mid? Whatever the team asked me. I said that from the beginning in this whole journey, like, you have to be prepped and ready to do whatever the team asked you. If that's 120 minutes, if that's no minutes, if that's, a different position like we've learned that when your number is called for whatever that is and whatever that role is you have to do it to the utmost respect the utmost everything all right it's one of the 
biggest question marks around this U.S. women's national team as they get set for the World Cup. Who will play the holding midfield role? Will it be Julie Ertz? Will it be Andy Sullivan? Will it be a mixture of both? We're uh, just a few days away from finding out. And for more on that, why don't we welcome into the show our good friend Alexis Nunez, who is joining us live from Auckland, New Zealand. First of all, like, what time is it there? Tell us what the U.S. Women's National Team has been up to since you got there and you started covering them. And beyond that, I, I guess, Alexis, tell us a little bit about the camp, because throughout the group phase, they're going to be in New Zealand, so they should be pretty well settled in. Yes, Sevi. Hola, mi gente. So good to be talking to you guys again at another World Cup. This time, of course, the Women's World Cup and a lot of eyes on the U.S. Women's National Team. Of course, we've been here so far for two days. I think it's about one o'clock or something now, or maybe two o'clock now. My body <laughs> clock is still on a mix of U.S. and U.K. time. I'm severely jet lagged. It's just me and my thoughts and my demons in the night, like wide awake. But you know what? We've got a chance to watch um, the U.S. Women's National Team training for two days now, and they seem perfect. Perfectly fine. Fine and dandy, of course. They've been here already for about 10 days, so they said that they've had enough time to acclimatize. No jet lag there. Obviously, they struggled a bit um, in the start, but they are ready, ready to go this weekend. Uh, training pretty chill, so to speak. I mean, they have brought the vibes. Megan Rapino, a lot of eyes on her, especially after we found out that this is going to be her last World Cup. She's always the first one on the pitch at training with her fabulous blue hair, bringing the vibes as per usual. Um, you know, the rest of the ladies also are out there. Everyone has taken part in training and just going through the paces uh, so far. It was so good yesterday to go to the first press conference um, where we got to speak to Alyssa Nair and, of course, Christy Mewis, two players who are approaching this World Cup in very different mindsets. You know, Alyssa Nair, who's now in her third World Cup, she said the last one she was in such a focus zone. She didn't take her phone off of airplane mode. She came off of Instagram. Uh, but this time, she has her phone on normal. She has her Instagram up mm. as well. So she's kind of still focused, but she's allowing herself to kind of enjoy it a bit more, which is probably easy to do when you have a couple of World Cups under your belt. As for Christy Mewis, what a story. She is a true redemption story after being out of the U.S. Women's National Team setup for about five years and Vladko brought her back and she is just bright-eyed, bushy-tailed and excited to be here, she said. But given that she went through some ups and of course some serious downs, she said that mentally has helped her, you know, focus and and approach this tournament with, with such a calm the fact that she is one of the older players she is a familiar face in u.s soccer she's 32 years old and about to be one of these 14 players that will be playing in their very first world cup but either way she's excited i got to speak to her about what the banter has been like between her and her girlfriend that we know is Australia's Sam Kerr, an amazing player, just wondering if maybe what will happen if the USA meet the Matildas. She said they've actually not thought of that yet. They're daring not to. She said they do get quite competitive amongst themselves. But for now, they've kind of just been supporting each other because, of course, a home World Cup for Sam Kerr is a big task. And with the US tracing this possible three-peat, that's another big task as well. Alexis, my girl, uh, we were together in Qatar, and uh, Qatar struck me. I'm also interested with the way a country hosts a World Cup because Qatar struck me as very corporate, especially early on. Uh, it definitely didn't have a World Cup kind of buzz to it. So I'm curious, was the, what's the buzz like right now? Are there people who are about? What do you feel? What are the vibes like? 
I feel like New Zealand, or at least Auckland right now, is a nice mix of Jamaica and Miami, I would say. I mean, stunning Ooh. infrastructure, as you can see behind me. We're bright by the water, but really chilled. You know, as we say in Jamaica, Jamaica, no problem, even though we have a lot of problems. And I'm not just talking about the reggae boys, but it's been such a chilled atmosphere so far I mean and a very friendly atmosphere where the US Women's National Team are concentrated um, for their training sessions there's actually a veterinary clinic right beside it that had a special banner printed that said everyone in New Zealand wishes the defending champions the USA a very very good luck at this World Cup we hope that it's going to be USA against New Zealand in the final but if not they say they just want the USA to of course show up and show out and do um, everything that they do that's made the world really fall in love with this team for all they've accomplished on the pitch as well as off of it so still a bit of a chill vibe we have a couple of days to go but I'm sure with the New Zealand team being in action this weekend and of course the defending champs the USA with their recognizable players I think the vibe will definitely pick up and if that fails you guys know me you know I'm always gonna bring the vibes <laughs> there it is uh, Alexis Nunes, always great to have you. Thanks so much for the time, for making some uh, some time from all the way across the world for us. Uh, we loved having you all during the World Cup. You've been getting some, some great interviews out of the European players throughout the season, and we will call on you again throughout the Women's World Cup in New Zealand and, of course, Australia. There she is, uh, Alexis Nunes. She'll actually be joining me uh, for one of ESPN FC's Women's World Cup specials. Got a few of these coming up, the first of which is Wednesday, airing at 10 p.m. Eastern Time time on both ESPN uh, and ESPN plus Alexis Nunez, uh, one of the many folks who will be joining us on Wednesday. We'll also have a show on Friday ahead of the U.S. Women's National Team World Cup opener against Vietnam. Friday also, the next time that you'll see this dynamic duo, Hercules Gomez and Sebi Salazar, that's right, uh, next edition of Football Americas on Friday. We will be reacting the U.S. Women's National Team, their World Cup opener against Vietnam. We will be reacting to Lionel Messi's debut, which will be happening in the stadium right behind me against Cruz Azul uh, in the League Cup. And we'll also be potentially, I'm told, having an interview with Ricardo Pepe. Exciting stuff happening here on Football Americas, but you have to wait. Not Thursday, Friday night. He's Herc. I'm Sebi. Thanks for watching. We'll see you Friday night. See you, see you tomorrow, Sebi. On ESPN+. See you tomorrow. Plus. Breakfast on I'll you. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.